Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you this morning. Thank you for those that have joined us here in the building and for those of you that are with us online. We know this time of year brings uh, much opportunity for travel and spending time with loved ones, whether we're away or uh, on vacation or whatever we might be doing. We're just uh, happy to be in fellowship with you together this morning. I have a few thank yous. I would like to offer before we dive in this morning. First, um, I want to thank the Lord. I want to thank the Lord for the opportunity that we had this week to share the gospel with over 100 children. Amen? That was a work of the Lord. It was uh, wonderfully refreshing to see this building vibrant and full of children of youth, and of volunteers uh, throughout the week. And so my second thank you goes out to Kristen, her team, uh, the, the volunteer staff that came together, uh, our students. There were many uh, youth that participated and volunteered a sign of the vibrancy of our student ministry program here, uh, that children and youth uh, were so quick to step in and to volunteer and be part of that. So I just want to thank uh, all of the volunteers that made the week of VBS an incredible success. Thank you. And then on a lighter note, I want to thank uh, the group from CNBC that uh, invited me to run in a trail run on Friday night. <laughs> and it's a thanks that comes with a caveat, because I'm a little bit bloodied and bruised because of it, but no worse for the wear. It was a fun night of fellowship. Um, fun is, is a word that definitely uh, not everyone would use to describe it, but uh, Brighton Schneider and I were able to be part of a three-person team and we ran one mile and one and a half mile loops from eight at night till midnight on Friday night. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time, but I learned a lesson. I am not the young man I used to be. And, uh, <laughs> and um, wisdom, wisdom came through uh, the lips of Daryl this week at VBS, um, who, as I was sharing with him a personal goal that I had uh, related to... Um, uh, a time I'd like to like to try to run in the mile. Um, he said, "You know, if you're not beating your son uh, at this point, you'll never beat him. So just <laughs> just give it up." And uh, and I realized um, that uh, yes, age is before me, and it has certainly crept in. And while I was clawing my way up one of the hills Friday night, I thought to myself just briefly, "Why is this fun to me?" <laughs> um, but, but indeed, it was a good time, and it was good fellowship, and there was a number of folks from CNBC uh, who participated and were there, and it was just a great night of, of wholesome fun and really good to be uh, with our children in that way. Um, the next few weeks, I'll be away, and so we'll have a number of guest pastors here. We're actually heading out uh, with the family. We're going to Catskills, and then we're heading to Maryland with my extended family to spend some time with them. And so uh, looking forward to having some guests in the pulpit to fill. And when we return, uh, we will be beginning a series that uh, we're titling Seven Habits of a Healthy Christian Community. And you know that we work uh, here at CNBC. We use the trellis model for our spiritual growth and our community formation. And so we'll be taking time looking at the habits of worship, hospitality, prayer, 
care, the study of God's Word, community both in and outside of our church building, and the support of our uh, local and global Christian ministry leaders, uh, those who are serving the Lord near and far. Uh, But before we start that series, we need to close out the book of Habakkuk, which we are going to do today in our time together. And this is our final week for our memory verse for the month of June. So let's say it together and then we'll dive into our final uh, portion of Habakkuk's book. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2, 4. So we've been in this uh, book, we've been spending, uh, we were five weeks in, this is our sixth week together, and we've watched how the prophet has cried out to God, we've seen how God initially responded, then we witnessed the prophet a bit dissatisfied and unsettled, and so he inquired further, and again, God responded, bringing clarity and wisdom leading the prophet to where we found ourselves last week in a posture of prayer and praise. And along the way, in our study together, we landed on a conclusion statement or a summary statement for the church. Essentially, when we look at the book of Habakkuk, we find that the world is broken. We see and we witness today in our world uh, in many different ways that the law is unable to fix it, but God is able. He hears us. He saves us. He is able to restore all things. We are to be faithful as we patiently yet actively wait for his deliverance. And so as we enter the final few verses of our text today, we're going to be in the last three verses of chapter 3, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. We want to answer the following question. When faced with life's most difficult days, what is the key to moving From weakness and despair to rejoicing and strength. And we're certainly going to find that the prophet lands on an answer uh, to that very question today in our text. And so we're in Habakkuk chapter 3. If you want to turn on your devices or take your Bibles out and turn there. We're looking at verses 16 to 19 today. And before we read, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for... This word, we are indeed thankful that it is living, that it's active, that you are able to use it, that it never returns void. Father, it's exciting to see an update from uh, our global partner, Emmanuel, this morning and just see the work that he is doing in Ghana. Uh, Lord, so exciting to see how you are using him, uh, how you've overcome obstacles and how he continues to Uh, spread your word to the people that you bring uh, to his ministry and to the ministry that you've given him there in Ghana. Lord, we also uh, are a people who are taught from a very early uh, point in our lives that your word teaches us to celebrate and to affirm life at every single juncture. And so indeed we do uh, celebrate and affirm the decision that was made this week Uh, in our nation, Lord, and uh, we stand with it. And Father, we uh, celebrate life as a community, and we're thankful for life. And we pray that uh, the ethic of that, our posture, would carry out uh, into every aspect of life that we see. Lord, certainly uh, for our family, we are sensitive to the opportunities that exist in foster care and adoption 
and how those are opportunities for us to also demonstrate and celebrate life as families and as local faith communities. And so, Lord, we, we pray all of those things today according to the opportunities that you bring before us, uh, while also recognizing that our nation is divided in many different ways and in many different fronts. And Lord, we know that the prophet faced a very similar situation, different circumstances, but a nation that was certainly divided. There were some within the nation of Israel that wanted to follow you, and there were others that had abandoned you. And Lord, uh, we see the outcome of the population in the nation that had turned their back on you in you raising up the Babylonians and bringing them uh, into Judah to take them captive. And so, Father, we turn to this book today and we look to explore answers, looking at uh, how we might respond uh, when we're faced with difficulty here in our current historical moment. Lord, we will face trial. We'll face tribulation. Uh, Jesus told us that. And so we want to know how we can respond in a way that honors you and is faithful to, our, to your word and that demonstrates our faithfulness as your son Jesus uh, was perfectly faithful for us. So Lord, teach us today from your text. Help it to inform our minds and our hearts and help, it to use, help us to use it in a way that glorifies and honors you as we move from this place today. We give you the glory for what we'll read, study, and learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. This is the prophet praying, praising. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so in hearing and seeing and considering the work of God, we find that the prophet is moved to a posture and a position of weakness. And throughout Chapter 3, this final chapter of his prophecy, he's drawn frequently from Moses and Joshua's narratives to vividly give account of God's past faithfulness. And he continues here to draw on echoes from Moses' praise when God delivered Israel at the sea. We hear echoes of Exodus chapter 15, even here in Habakkuk's prayer. For the people of Israel who were held captive by the Egyptians, God's deliverance came after many years of painful turmoil and bondage. And considering Habakkuk's context, for the people of Judah who would soon be or were in the process of being taken into captivity, the prophet could hardly bear or endure to think that the meter of history's rhyme and repetition may be falling on rhythm directly on his generation. 
The very thought of this reality revives the tension of the prophecy. Immediately after rehearsing God's faithfulness and describing God's appearance and power at the beginning of chapter 3, the prophet again is considering his own darkened circumstances. Now watch again how all of this comes together to totally affect him. He says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And I'm reminded of the trail run on Friday night. (laughs) That's how I felt. Now that I just read that that way, that is really how I felt. (laughs) But these verbs and these adjectives, they're, they're painting this troubling landscape of strong emotion, trembling, quivering, rottenness, trembling. Just because God's testimony of faithfulness is unrivaled, And his appearance at the beginning of chapter 3 is bright and marvelous. And his power is indescribable and unfathomable. That doesn't mean that our lives here will be all peaches and roses. Many of us know this. I get to work with a number of couples that are beginning uh, on their lifelong journey uh, of marriage And as we sit and we talk and we work through it together, uh, oftentimes I can see it. And it it usually hits first on the groom's face. Wow, this is forever. Yeah, (laughs) it is. And and we know as we begin uh, our married lives, we often have the most idealist picture of what it's going to look like to live with another person. But usually shortly in, uh, we come to see that life isn't Also, always peaches and roses there as well. There's difficulty. There is turmoil and tribulation that comes into our lives. The reality is that sin has destroyed our ability to fully rest in God's faithfulness. And to be fully moved and inspired by his appearance. And to truly understand and to witness his power. And so again here, the prophet is quick to share both with his God, with his people, and with us, his future readers, exactly how he is feeling in the moment. This is one of the highlights of the prophet's book. He is quick throughout his prophecy to share with us exactly how he's feeling with the news that he's receiving. He's vulnerable. He's humble enough to reveal his own fear and insecurity. He's not trying to cover or mask the weakness and trembling he's experiencing. Rather, he's communicating it freely and openly for generations to see, to hear, and to consider. Throughout the book, uh, this has served as a lesson for us, both in how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. We said this earlier in our study together Nothing is hidden before the eyes of God. If we're truly feeling a certain way about a specific situation in our life, better to be open and to express it with him because he knows exactly how we're feeling. It's also a good reminder for we who are drawn by God into Christian community that our communities 
are to be safe places where humility is endorsed, where vulnerability is standard. And expressing truth about the way we are feeling provokes dialogue and discussion good for the encouragement and the building up of one another. We can and must do these things personally with God in our own personal worship station, uh, places and uh, places where we're uh, glorifying Him, but we also can and must do these things in community with one another as well. And while we celebrate one another's joys, accomplishments, achievements, and victories, we're also called to lift up one another, to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep, and to mourn with those who mourn. And together, we do well to remember that our faith is one that asks and calls for both joy and trembling. This is the paradox we face, church, that our Savior, Jesus, was and is both at once and forevermore the promised King and the suffering servant. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, but he did that through toil and tears, even ones that amounted to drops of blood, petitioning his father, according to his father's will, to take the cup from his hands, even in his final hours. And friends, we find here on earth, much like the prophet that we studied, that our lives are filled with both seasons that can be characterized by immense joy and seasons that can be characterized by immense pain and trembling. And so very often, many of us know that these seasons coalesce. They come together. It's mingled. God is with us in both. He's with us in both. Amen. He carries us in supernatural ways. Yes, through some of us know through some of the most unimaginable times in our life, we've felt the hand of the Lord scoop us up and lift us up and place us on high. But he also does it in very practical and pragmatic ways, using our faith communities and our Christian friends to encourage and to support and to lift one another up in difficult days. In our weakness, instead of turning to despair, instead of turning to fear, to, to doubt, to anger, to bitterness, the prophet gives us a better way. Rather than trying to get by on our own efforts or taking matters into our own hands or trying to do a bunch of somethings that will ultimately amount to a lot of nothings, he goes in a completely different direction. In his trembling and in his weakness, embracing the immensity and the difficulty of his current cultural moment, what does he do? He quietly and he patiently waits. Look at verse 16. All of those emotions, all of those feelings, and what does he conclude? Yet, yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. And we often say that the characteristics that define the life of a disciple of Jesus are counter-cultural. And when we come up against these types of examples in scriptures, 
we can understand why. This is not the nature of our world today. To silently, quietly, and patiently wait for the Lord's deliverance. Rarely are we willing to quietly and patiently wait for God to work out our situations. Especially when those situations appear to be detrimental or even working against our understandings of God's good and right purposes in the world. We're often quick to abandon the tried and true habits of a Christian community like prayer, like service, the reading, the studying, the memorization or meditating on God's word. Supporting our Christian leaders near and abroad, building up our communities in love. And we lay those things aside at times to chase after habits and attitudes and postures that are more closely aligned with the Babylonian way of life. Pride, greed, self-preservation, destruction. A word that popped into my mind as I was reading verse 16 this week was the word composure. Have you ever met a person that can be composed in the most fiery of circumstances and times? I've had people like this in my life. It's so comforting to be around them. It it seems uh, in their lives that everything could be falling apart, yet they stand so steady and true and steadfast. I would say as I look around in our own country... Over the past three to five years, our inability to remain composed when things don't go our way has grown at an alarmingly accelerated rate. It's almost as if we can't imagine that God may be calling his church with divine purpose to sit in the tension of a historical moment similar to the prophet Habakkuk's. And he had a challenge. I mean, at the beginning of the prophecy, he's disagreeing with the position of his own people. But he's not abandoning them. And as we go through the prophecy, he's initially rebuffed at God's design to empower the Babylonians to bring judgment. But he doesn't grow faithless and abandon God. And friends, I'm reminded that a mark of a true Christian, a mark of Christian maturity, is our ability to sit and to wait patiently, even when it is long and hard. And this doesn't mean that we can't be active and productive. Patience is hard sometimes. Rather, it means that we are being active and productive in pursuing the habits and postures and attitudes and behaviors of our Lord Jesus. These are habits and postures and attitudes that are regularly communicated in the Old and New Testament scriptures. But I will say this, they're not often trending on TikTok or Twitter. We're not going to find them celebrated in those places. These are the tried and true ancient paths of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the patient yet active pathways 
for waiting on the Lord's perfect timing in our current historical moment. Friends, God will take care of sin and death. He's already inaugurated and ushered in its demise through the person and work of His Son, Jesus. Waiting is a posture of confidence and dependence. We're confident that God will perform what He has promised. And we are depending on Him to carry us through to the finish line. And yet, I acknowledge as someone who struggles with patience myself that this is incredibly difficult when it appears that our enemies or whomever uh, we've identified as against us appear to have the momentum or the upper hand. Friends, this is what was happening to Israel, to Judah. As the Babylonians swept into Judah, their invasion was devastating the community from top to bottom. It's a reality that the prophet depicts in verse 17. Take a look again at the beginning of verse 17. Difficult situation. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Habakkuk is moving through each of the major resources that supported the life and the economy of the Judean society. And the Babylonians were going to usher in both a societal, cultural, and economic collapse that would take generations to recover from. The blossom of the fig, no more. One of the most popular and useful fruits in all of the Middle East Gone. From the beginning, the fig tree existed as a symbol or a sign of covering for the nation. It was the very tree that Adam and Eve had used to sew garments to cover their newfound shame. The concept of one finding and sitting under the shade of their own fig tree was a sign of national security and comfort and protection. A national realization of God's covenantal provision. But the nation had become like the fruitless fig tree. The same kind of tree. If you remember in Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Long before the Babylonian invasion had the nation ceased to blossom. But it wasn't just the fig, it was also the vine. And if you remember, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the vine that God had planted. He had nurtured. He had cared for. But the vine was no longer producing grapes or fruit. No more figs. No more grapes. No more fruit. First goes the fig representing comfort, protection, and the vine representing joy, gladness, abundance, prosperity. And Habakkuk is drawing for us a picture of a nation that had fallen and would fall further into fruitlessness. The fig, the vine, then what? The olive. The olive trees associated with Israel's blessing and her health, her national security, her peace and reconciliation. The olive trunk is a sturdy trunk and it was known to have the most resilient of leaves shedding neither in the heat nor rain 
nor cold. One olive tree is able to produce between 12 and 18 pounds of olive oil per year. And that same olive tree could possibly produce somewhere between 120 to 220 pounds of olives on its branches. Economic stability. Prosperity. Jesus himself represented the root of a cultivated olive tree. The tree from which the nations could come and draw their life. It was in his most difficult moment on earth, one of his most difficult moments, where we find the root of the olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a name that literally means the olive press. A garden that was filled with magnificent olive trees. A garden where where Jesus would pray the most difficult prayers of his time on earth. Did you know that today, the olive tree is the national tree of Israel. Gone. Failed. Next was the fields. As the agriculture of the nation would fail, the economic prosperity of the nation would crumble. Israel now has nothing of produce left to offer. They've become fruitless with the fig and the vine, and now with the fields... They are barren. Barren. Would God still be faithful when his people have become or been driven to a fruitless and barren demise? Would he still be faithful? But it wasn't just the fruit or the produce of the nation that would be affected by their captivity. Even the livestock would suffer. And when we consider how precious sheep were to the Israelite nation and how heavily relied upon they were, not just for food and clothing, but also for the daily sacrifices, we begin to see and to catch a clearer image of the totality of the Babylonian dismantling of the Israelite society. The very way that the Israelites clothed themselves, fed themselves, and worshipped would all be severely disrupted. And if not for a season, ended altogether. And in just a few lines of prayer, the prophet has shown how the Babylonian invasion would destroy the agrarian culture and society of Judah. Here is the full picture of what we see with Israel. It's culture and society under the Babylonian invasion. They are fruitless They are barren, and like sheep, they've been led astray. Lost, and with nothing of their own to offer God, surely they were doomed. The gods of the other nations, all the gods the Babylonians followed, all the gods the Canaanites followed, all the gods the Assyrians and the Egyptians worshipped, those gods would have abandoned a people like that Long ago, they had nothing left to offer them. How would Yahweh respond? How would the prophet see or discern of Yahweh's response? Would God, could God deliver a weak 
and trembling people, held captive to hostile forces, living in darkness, lost and afraid, with no hope in the world. And as Habakkuk walks with us through this difficult moment that was either starting or already coming or part of the nation's history, he leads us towards the moment where we see a marvelous glimmer of hope. As I thought about this passage this week, I thought about great movie cliffhangers. Remember those when I was young? I, would, I remember going over to my grandmother's house. She had the collection of Indiana Jones movies. I don't know if any of you had seen those. But there, in every Indiana Jones movie, there's a particular scene where all hope seems lost and everyone thinks Indy's dead. And then what? The hand on the cliff. Hanging. Clinging to life. The glimmer of hope. All hope is not lost. Perhaps he lives. And as it turns out for the nation Israel, as it turns out in our text today, and as it turns out for each and every one of us that's found by God in a similar state in our lives, with our God, hope is not lost. Take a look at verse 18. All of these things are true, yet, again, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What a strikingly countercultural posture. When all hope seems lost, the prophet motivate us, motivates us towards rejoicing and joy. With nothing of our own to bring, being found dead in our trespasses and sins, God through His Son, Jesus, calls us in the darkness, draws us to the light of His Son, and raises us up into eternal, life-giving community with Him. He is the God of our salvation, the same God of Habakkuk's salvation, and of Israel's salvation, and of Judah's salvation. He is the God who is shared by all who claim Jesus as their Savior. The God who is righteous, who is just, who is merciful. The God who is sovereign over our circumstances. Friends, He's not just the God that's high above us. He's also the God who is intimately and closely present with us. The God who gave to us His one and only Son. He's the God who himself keenly understands human pain and suffering because he himself suffered, bled, and died. He's the God who was tortured, who was pierced for our transgressions, who laid down his life for the sheep who were lost. Do you know the God of our salvation? His name is Jesus. He was here. He lived on earth. He dwelt with his people. And friends, as we're gathered today, as we're in the building or watching online, if, if we've ever, as we sit here today, if we've ever felt rejected, he too was rejected. If anyone has ever lied to us or about us, he too was lied to and lied about. He understands betrayal. If we have cried tears of pain in our loss and our grief, he too, Jesus, wept at the sight of a friend whose body laid lifeless in a tomb. 
If anxiety and uncertainty has ever pressed us to our knees, leaving us with nowhere to turn, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus went to the Lord in prayer, sweating drops of blood. Hours before his death, crying out to his father. If we've ever experienced abuse at the hands of another person, he too was abused and tormented. If we've ever felt taken for granted, taken advantage of, or used for another person's personal gain, Jesus experienced all of those things as well. And guess what? He is still the God of our salvation. Do you know the God of our salvation? As you sit here today, as you watch, do you know him? And if today there's a feeling of lostness, of hopelessness, of joylessness, if there's anxiety or depression or burdens or a sense of purposelessness in the world, or you're feeling sad or disoriented, disordered, or even shamed, then I would say that the God of our salvation is able to give direction to the lost. He's able to bring hope to the hopeless. He's able to deliver joy to the joyless. He crowns courage on the head of the fearful. He lifts the burdens of the anxious and the depressed. He gives life to the lifeless. He gives mission to the purposeless. He motivates the disordered and disoriented. And he carries our grief and our shame. This is Jesus. He is the God of my salvation. And if you know him today, he is the God of your salvation. He is the God of our salvation. I, I pray if today you have not yet come to know the God of our salvation, that you would come to know even today that there is no greater love. There is no greater source of abundant life. There is no greater well of joy. There is no greater giver of peace than Jesus. Come to him even in these moments. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, as we work through your word this morning, your prophets brought us to a place where we've been brought face to face with the God of our salvation. And yet we realize that there are many who do not yet know this God. They do not know you, Father, through your son, Jesus. And so we pray right now in these quiet moments in the midst of this time together in this text, that if there are any who are listening today. If there are any who have felt lost, who can't find the answers, who feel in turmoil, that you would simply reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them in a way that might lead to their salvation. Father, call them to yourself. Save them. And if you're here today and you're hearing this and you've never come to God through Jesus, you've never made Jesus your Savior, then I pray even in these quiet moments 
before the Lord, that you would just confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I understand I fall short of your standard. I thank you for your love and your grace, and I believe in your son, Jesus, that he came to this earth, that he died for my sins, that he raised from the dead, conquering sin and death, able to deliver freedom and to raise me up with you through him and his work. I acknowledge and believe and trust and give my life to him today. And it's his name, through his name, that we pray these things. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, then I have a second challenge for you. Whether you're online or you're in the building, tell somebody. Tell a friend, tell a mentor, tell a parent, tell somebody that today was the day that the Lord revealed himself to you in a way that led to your salvation. Now, we're not done yet. We have another verse or two, all right? But I thought it was important to pause there. Sorry, team. Have a seat. You'll be all right. Thank you. Thanks for being so proactive. It's good. You were demonstrating patiently yet actively waiting, and I love it. (laughs) So whether you've known Jesus for one minute now or for a lifetime, verse 19 is equally true for all of us as much today as it was when Habakkuk was written long ago. Look at verse 19. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Friends, where does our strength come from? When we turn our lives over to the Lord and we follow him and we're saved and we have a relationship with God through Jesus, our strength is from the Lord, even in our most difficult of days. And as a deer is deftly able to navigate the steep and rocky crags and cliffs in their environment, so too does God stabilize his children so that we can move with great mobility, agility, and balance through the rocky crags and cliffs in our current cultural moment. Friends, I would say when faced with life's most difficult days, the key to moving from weakness and despair to rejoicing and strength is for us to remain focused on God's loyal love, His steadfast justice, and His tender mercies. In His free gift of salvation, He has given us all that we need to face the most tragic and most triumphant days here on earth. And as we face those moments, whether on the mountaintop or in the valley, he is promised to be with us, to be our light, to be our strength, to be our comfort and our peace. And so we've asked these questions uh, each week. We've asked this final question as we've concluded our time. How might these realities move us forward in a greater love for God and a greater love for one another? And perhaps as we consider our text today, We might conclude these three truths. We might wait patiently yet actively for God's perfect timing. It will be perfect. He will give us exactly what we need when we need it according to his perfect purposes in our lives. We can rejoice in the gift of eternal life that has been given to us through Jesus. This is an eternal gift. It's one that never runs out of abundance 
It's one that should always satisfy and sustain and lift us up, even in the darkest of days, knowing that our future is secure in Him. And then finally, holding fast to the Lord as our strength and stability in life's disorienting and difficult seasons. Friends, don't turn to hostility. Don't turn to anger or bitterness. Don't turn to fear. Don't turn to any of those things. Turn to the Lord. Cling to Christ. Hold on to Him and follow His ways, even in life's most difficult seasons. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for its power. Thank You that it is so relevant, this prophecy from hundreds of years ago is shining today as an example to us that you truly do have the whole world, the whole universe in your hands, that you are in control, that your faithfulness remains unrivaled as you've delivered the victory through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just need your help now to live as if we believe it. Everywhere we go, Lord, let us shine. Let us be salt. Let us be light. That's what you have called us to be, to reach the people that you've placed in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our schools. Lord, these are people you've put in our lives with purpose. There's no accidental encounters. And Father, sometimes it's difficult for us. Sometimes the lifestyles we come across and the ways of living we come across seem very, very different than the ones that we lead. And it's hard for us to consider how to love, how to extend grace, how to be people who exude joy and strength. But Father, we know that through the power of your son Jesus and his spirit at work within us, you can teach us to love. You can teach us to be gentle and kind and caring to all people. So help us to do that, Lord. Help us to live with the great hope that our future is secure in you. And help us be a light as we live that way to our communities that many may come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.